message that the Lord put on my heart for, for Easter. Is what a day is. Uh, it seems that everybody pauses on Easter and takes notice, uh, whether it's to hunt eggs or to get together with family, but it's probably that in Mother's Day is the most attended day in church. And uh, there's a reason why that that's so, is that it's a day to where we're all gathering together as humanity to wonder the same thing that they wondered over 2,000 years ago, is the grave really empty? Is the grave really empty? And the message the Lord put on my heart was from dust to glory. From dust to glory. See, in Genesis 1, when God created everything, uh, the Hebrew language is pictorial. It, it paints pictures, and so it doesn't always translate into the English. But the Bible says that uh, in the beginning uh, that there was a, the earth was without form and void, and waters were over the face of the deep. Uh, in other words, the world didn't have the form that it does now. It was uh, chaos, dark this hadn't been separated from light. It was uh, some kind of singularity of something that was chaotic about it. But the picture in the Hebrew is, is that it's a barren womb. That it's a womb without form. A womb that is void. So in other words, there's materials there, but there's no life. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. So God is hovering over the chaos. Your version might say brooding. The language there is romantic language. It's that God is drawn to the empty and the chaotic where He might insert Himself and begin to start life. God's not afraid of your chaos, church. He's not afraid of your messed up life. He's not afraid of how messed up you've been, what you've done, your secrets, all those skeletons in your closet. The Bible says he condemned sin in the flesh. So your sin's already condemned in Jesus. So he's, he's hovering over the waters. He's hovering over the chaos. And he's speaking words wanting you to accept him where he might begin to insert himself into your life and begin to take the chaos and begin to put order and form to what was once void and chaotic. See, God is showing us something about himself, even in creation. And so God begins to restore chaos. His word is a seed, the Bible says. He begins to speak some things. He says, let there be light. He says, let there be. Let there be. Let there be. He begins to say some, let there be's. But then when he gets to us, he says something different. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6, or verse 26 says this. He doesn't say, let there be. He says, let us make man in our own image. See, God quit speaking things into existence and wanted to get intimate with this object. God quit saying, let there be, and he Stopped and in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost got in a huddle and said, Hey, let us make something 
that we can pull into the reality of our love that could experience how good and how great we really are. God says, let me make an object of mine affection that could share on the love and the presence and that could have relationship with us. Wow. So the Bible says, let us make men in our image. And so, what does God do? He doesn't speak. Different Hebrew word here. He quits saying baran, begins to say asaw, which means to make. So he gets in the dust and starts getting his hands dirty with you. See, God's not afraid to get his hands dirty in your life. He's not afraid to stoop down in the dust to find you and begin to form and mold you afresh. And so we see God getting down into the dirt and He begins to shape. See, creation was touched with God's words, but you were touched with God's fingertips and His presence. Come on, somebody. Come on. I know, I know mama and cousin's with you and you're scared to shout a little bit, but that's okay. You can get out of that. They know you're Pentecostal. They know you go here. They're expecting you to be who you are, so just go ahead and be who you got to be in the Lord. And uh, they might get some of it if you'll enter in. <laughs> As I was saying, I used to do that. Y'all know we all used to do that. You'd get that Baptist friend to come and say, man, I hope it don't break loose in there. And then it breaks loose and you're like, oh, man. Yeah, I know it's Easter, but come on. So he says, let us make man. So he quits saying ex nihilo, and he begins to say another name, the same word that's used for when men create stuff. So in other words, God wanted to touch this creation with his hands. And so he makes Adam, and he makes Eve, and he makes these beautiful creatures, uh, but they're not God's most beautiful creature. See, God's most beautiful creature was some kind of serpentine, angelic uh, creature that we call Satan or Satan. And that's why Satan hates you. Because Satan's problem with us was, God, they're not the most beautiful thing that you've created, but yet you've given them the power and dominion to rule over the earth. So Satan enters into the narrative of creation in order to uh, overthrow what the power and the authority that God wanted to give to Adam and Eve as they were going to be fruitful and multiply and the Garden of Eden was going to stretch over the entire earth. So Satan gets mad because he's the most beautiful. Why are you giving your power to dust? Well, God was revealing something about his nature. God loves humble things. It's not the great and mighty that God exalts. I'm sorry. If that was the case, I wouldn't be up here today, okay? God takes humble, foolish things and says, I really like that. You know what? I'm going to give them all the power. And he pours himself into the things that look lowly and don't look even worth the second look. But that's where God enters into. 
He enters into creation in that way. And so Satan gets upset and says, hey, he's going to thwart this plan. And so, so as God began to speak some things into existence, suddenly a snake begins to start speaking. And when the snake begins to start speaking, some other things begin to happen. Adam, who was already in the likeness and glory and image of God, suddenly takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and his eyes are open and he's naked. See, it's in that point where Adam didn't know that he was dust. He just knew he come from God. But when his eyes got open, he started seeing himself as dirt and quit seeing himself as made in the image of God. See, that's what happens when Satan begins to speak. We start to look at ourselves and identify as things that are not what God would have us to identify as. Because what did God say? Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were dirt? See, when Adam's eyes were open, he began to identify and try to find meaning within himself instead of allowing God to speak onto him who he actually was and what he actually was in God. You want to know why we have so many identity problems in this world? Because people are listening to their own heart. And they're not listening to the voice of God that says, you are valuable. You are made in my image. I've got plans for you. I've got purpose for you. I died for you. I love you. I've got resurrection power to pull you out of your, your mess. I, there's things that I want to do for you. See, the, see, there's a voice that's speaking. And so God says, who told you you were these things? In other words, who are you letting define who you are outside of me? So then God begins to declare some things and says, this is how life looks without me. They weren't merely judgments where God's mad that Adam fell. Because God's heart had not changed towards Adam. But what was happening is God began to say, because you've done this, this is what life is going to look like without me. So this strange dynamic began to happen. Genesis 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So suddenly when the narrative is interrupted, we start as dust, and now we go back to dust that the story of man is somehow seems to be messed up that what we started as is what we become the uh, preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says it like this the words of the preacher the son of David king in Jerusalem Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Do you see what happened there? 
the vision got so negative based upon the narrative of the world and what was going on that suddenly they quit seeing themselves as eternal and suddenly the earth looks like it's eternal. And that's what's happening in our world. When we lose the fact that we are created in the image of God, this is what happens to us. Is we begin to put our focus on the nature of things and we begin to save wells and we begin to, to pick up our trash and do those things and those are good things. But we can't forget the earth is not forever. It's the soul within man made in the image of God that is forever. That's the forever thing. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. So it's kind of like the great philosophers and theologians, Kansas said, all we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> oh don't get holy on me in here don't make me get in that car and turn that radio on come on now it's the Easter crowd see everything is decaying everything is breaking down me and Josh were playing softball the other day and he went to go get a fly ball, and it hit, landed about five feet in front of him. He said, brother, ten years ago, I'd have got that. <laughs> I said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> see, it doesn't take long to see that everything's breaking down. Things are getting older. We're, we're getting older. There was a, a, a great emperor that created the Great Wall of China, which is even visible from outer space. And this emperor, after he built it, said, My name will never be forgotten in history. Because look at this giant wall that I have built. Who knows who built the Great Wall of China? Don't y'all Google right now. I know, that, I know somebody's going to try to do that to me. Don't you do that. I can tell you who it was. Ken Shi Hong. Look to your neighbor and just say, Ken Shi Hong. Now, if they give you the interpretation, just say, hey, no, 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 that's, a, that's the guy's name. That's just the guy's name. But you know what about the Great Wall? The Great Wall is falling apart. The pyramids, yeah, they're still standing. But they're falling apart. Me and you, my friend, we're falling apart. We're falling apart. Ladies, why are we putting on makeup? No, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. If we know we're falling apart, why would we go against the grain and do otherwise? Because something in us says dust to dust can't be the end of the story. <laughs> I know I came from dust, God, but 
And I know I'm going there, but that can't be the end of the story, Lord. So that's what we try to do, is we try to cover up the fact that we're dust. We do it with careers, we do it with prestige, we do it with money, we do it with drugs, we do it with everything that we can. We want to get the idea out of our mind that we are dust. We're dust. And we're turning into dust. Why were the Egyptians trying to embalm embalm these pharaohs? Because even though we should know, based on the statistic, 10 out of 10 people die. (laughs) Well, no, that's not true. Well, no, yeah, okay, yeah, that is probably true still, because he died and then rose again, but still. Based on that, why don't we wrap our mind around that? And this is what the atheists do. Well, brother, I'm just brave enough to go there to say, yes, we are dust, and yes, we're going to dust. But begin to think about that worldview. From dust I came to dust I go, then what does it matter? What does it matter? See, if the narrative is from dust to dust, then what does it matter? Where's the meaning? It seems that dust and death is our greatest fear and our greatest foe. How many of you have lost loved ones that left a hole in your heart that it almost seemed impossible to fill? And still, you're still, you think about them. A friend of mine had killed a big deer and he said, first thing I did is I pulled up my phone and I wanted to call Dad. And I remember he's not there. From dust to to dust. Dust is our enemy. And if we looked at nature and if we looked at the flow of things, it informs us that maybe all we are is worm food. Come on, Matt, give me some encouragement. It's Easter. Come on now, worm, worm food. Come on now, you can beat that. But give me some time, let me work through this. Scientists call this entropy. The natural decay of matter. Time and gravity acting on things. It's the only reason why we know there's time is because things get old. They had to create a system to measure how things are getting old and at what rate. That's what time is. A measurement of the decay of how old something is getting. So an expiration date is put on things so that you can know when it's no longer any good. That time is the measurement of watching things get old see when sin entered in things got old we getting old Paul says it this way creation was subjected into futility Romans 8 20 but as in the beginning God enters our dust and our dust nature to interrupt 
time and to enter up dust so that dust wouldn't have to go to dust, but dust could go to glory. So Christ becomes a man in the incarnation, God encompassing himself in the flesh, in dust, that God becomes dust in order that he can redeem dust where dust wouldn't have to go to dust, but that dust could then go with him forever uh, in glory. See, God enters our dust and conquers our greatest foe and greatest enemy. Jesus redefines what is really power and what is really not. Jesus enters in the most powerful empire in human history, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And how did Rome get peace? Through barbaric means. They conquered, they intimidated, they crucified, they, they, they put fear into the hearts of people so that they would say, okay, you win. See, that's what power was defined as before Jesus it was the power for me to either manipulate you or to put you in some kind of stronghold where you said, uncle. But a 30-something-year-old homeless construction worker named Jesus can enter into the scene and topple the Roman Empire by the spread of Christianity without even picking up a sword or lifting a finger. See, Jesus is redefining power in the earth. It is said of Alexander the Great that when he went out conquering, and once he had conquered all he knew to conquer, the folklore is, is that he began to weep because there was nothing else to conquer. But do you know what happened to Alexander the Great? The thing he was conquering, land and territory, dirt, dust. The dust he was conquering, when he died, what did he turn back into? You don't have to answer all at once. He turns back into the thing that he was trying to conquer. The dirt and earth that he was conquering has now conquered him. Julius Caesar. The earth has conquered him. From dust, you're from, from dust you go but Jesus conquers in another kind of way it's that he hands himself into the hands of sinful men allowing them to do whatever they want to do to him and they crucify him on the cross 
And the disciples didn't understand it. We don't understand it because we still got this thing about what's real power in our minds. And real power seems like we ought to be able to do something and make something happen. But Jesus shows us that if we operate in the ethic of love, love never fails and will never be destroyed. And so Jesus is crucified and it looks like all is lost. It looks like Jesus has been conquered. But Jesus, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And though he was tempted at all points where he would be sympathetic with your failures, he didn't sin one time. So when he was put into the ground, instead of turning to dust, dust had to spit him back up. When the worms thought, all right, here's fresh meat, they touched the skin of the living God and said, no, let's go back down, boys. This one's off limits. When bacteria and chemical reactions that decay and, and, and decompose us begin to descend upon him, they had to go back and find another candidate because this was the one in whom death would not defeat and dust would not defeat and he would raise from the dead defeating dust so that if we are in him, from dust we came, but if we're in Christ, from glory we go to be absent from the bodies to be present with Christ and when he comes back with a shout and a trumpet of the archangel and then a big shout begins to happen and the dead in Christ will rise first and then us who are alive together will be caught up together with him in the air we will have a glorified body that will never taste death again that will never be defeated and we will look just like him See, Jesus enters the dust story and says, I'm going to rewrite the ending to this thing. So just as God the Father had bent down and molded men from the dust, He stoops down again and becomes dust. And instead of forming a man, He becomes a man. And as an Adam all die, in Jesus, all live. He's rewriting your story. He's rewriting your story. Resurrection means that the dust story is not the whole story. It's a prelude to a great story that God's still writing and he's writing today. God enters the death story and is murdered wrongfully to declare no matter how evil it looks or what you're going through, if you'll just let me get in the middle of that thing, I can make this death story into something that would be a glorious story. The most tragic thing in the earth God being murdered at the hands of sinful men, God makes it into the most prized day on the calendar. If that doesn't tell you God makes all things work together for the good, I don't know what else 
to tell you, say, well, Matt, why does this happen or why does that happen? That's the wrong question because we can never know. The world is too complex. There's too much complexity. We can explore that and come up with some things, but that's not the question. The question is not, why did these things happen? It's to look on the Christ who doesn't run from suffering or stay in his corner of the universe and say, ha, ha, ha. It's about a God who's willing to enter into the chaos and into the worst uh, and most brutal empire in human history and to enter into... uh, Uh, our human flesh and our sin and our situation. It's about a God who's willing to enter in a really messed up religious system that's going to end up killing him. But he loves so much that he enters into the most crazy uh, intersection in human history and enters into it and is murdered and somehow makes it all good. Makes it all good. Makes it all good. He ascends to the right hand of the Father above all principalities and powers of the air. You know, we have Good Friday and then we have Easter, but I think we ought to have a service on Saturday, the day where Jesus went into the heart of the earth and led captivity captive and preached the gospel to the dead who were were dead in faith in Abraham's bosom and then led them back where he rubbed it in Satan's face and said, you thought you had them. You thought you had them. You thought the story was going to be dust to dust, but he's entered into the dust and he's pulled out captivity and he's taken them captive with him and says, you're coming with me into the presence of God. You're coming with me for." Eternity ascends to the right hand of the Father above principalities and powers declaring that no longer will there be a story from dust to dust. But anybody that is in me, the story will be from dust to glory. From dust to glory. See, this is what God does. See, comes into the dust. He, he meets us when we're at our worst. He would meet us when we're at our best, but at that time we're too prideful to even come to Him. He enters the dust story of a drug addict, of a prostitute, He enters the dust story and he makes it a glory story. He takes that story and that story's preaching to over a hundred people about the glory of God yesterday at Wade Street Park. So this is what God does as he enters into the dust. He enters into the dust. Change the story. (laughs) I've already seen too much for you to tell me that the power of God is not real. Get out of your head, get out of your mind, whatever you got to do. But you get a hold of God. I'm telling you, He's real. And there's so much love in His heart. So much love in His heart. Would you let Him find you? 
I'm going to read one last passage of Scripture for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a big old butt right there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. God could display any characteristic that he wants to in the earth to show who he is. And do you know what he chooses? You to be his object of affection where he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in your life. So when we don't receive God, we're not letting God reveal to the world how He wants to be known. The kind and merciful and humble Savior. Would you ask Him in? Would you bow your head with me?